0: Welcome to Behind the Law with Dennis Vetrano, where you'll receive the support, the motivation, and the inspiration to be your best self each and every day. And now, here's your host. Dennis Vetrano. So welcome to episode three of the Behind the Law podcast. I'm Dennis Vetrano, your host. And today we have something pretty interesting on tap for you. We have Charlotte Guernsey, the owner of Gatehouse Realty. She's our guest today. So welcome, Charlotte. How are you?
1: Welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, very, very welcome. We're um, we're very happy to have you. And again, as you know, as people know, i you know, by trade, I'm a divorce attorney. And certainly those two particular I- industries really cross paths very frequently. And that's one of the most important aspects of your divorce case is, uh, you know, how you're going to handle the real estate, not only within the context of the divorce, but also moving forward. So um, Charlotte, you're the owner of Gatehouse Realty. Can you describe uh, your business a little bit for us?
1: Sure. So I opened Gatehouse Realty in 2001, um, right here on the main street in Beacon. And I was in my early 20s. And I, we have uh, a good team that are all local and involved in the community. And we sell residential and commercial property. And I work with a lot of developers and uh, specialize in unique properties. And seeing where the market is going, figuring out those market trends and uh, really putting my value there.
0: So now you were an agent first, correct? And then you became the broker?
1: Yeah, that's how it works. You have to be an agent until you uh, earn enough points and time. So I was an agent with Houlihan uh, Lawrence in Cold Spring. I grew up in Garrison, so after college, uh, my background's in fine art. I came back to the area to get into real estate because I found I really love designing spaces and, and visualizing what spaces could be. So I found it very natural to be able to help people see the potential in properties. Okay. So I got into real estate and started as an agent and then um, opened my own company. Okay, when did you
0: open Gatehouse Realty? In
1: 2001.
0: Okay, did you answer that already? I did. Okay. That's okay, it's
1: okay.
0: <laughs> well, I, I think that's important because I want people to know like, how long you've been in business. And, right. um, and you know, the next question is, why Beacon? Why did you decide to start in be Well,
1: so I, like I said, I was pretty young. I got into real estate right after college in 98. And as I was taking one of my clients around, he was an investor client. I was showing multi-units. He said to me, make sure your first property that you buy is a multi-unit. He said, if your first property is a single family house, you'll never get ahead. You'll always be paying that mortgage. But if you start with a multi-family you will always have someone else paying your mortgage, and then you go from there. You always have something else paying for your property. And that was a a really enlightening moment for me. So at that point, I was living with my parents in Garrison, and it just hit me that, you know, Beacon, which is just the next town up, is the land of opportunity. It's been downtrodden for decades. Everybody kind of looked over it, and, uh, Artist friends have been living there for years now. I actually took painting classes in Beacon when I was in high school. So I was familiar with the the properties there and and the whole scene going on. So I said to myself, I need to buy the biggest and the best location for a commercial multi-use property I can get my hands on. Yeah. So I started, uh, I started pounding the pavement. I started just walking around up and down Main Street. And then one day this old crotchety guy comes up to me and says you're looking for a building aren't you (laughs) he's probably we probably saw me a few times (laughs) that's
0: that's that's opportunity (laughs) knocks huh
1: so I said uh yeah actually I am he said you're gonna want to talk to Walsh they're thinking of selling and he gave me their contact number and I called him and made the deal luckily for me and I was I was too inexperienced to even know this was lucky but um since they had held the building for so long, they had bought a drugstore back in the 50s, I think. Right. Um, and I bought the building in 99. They wanted owner financing, so they didn't have to pay too much capital gains. So they wanted 30% down or 20 out of 20 or 30% down and owner financing the rest. Lucky for me, because I wouldn't qualified for wow. any kind of mortgage, being kind of new to real estate myself and not having. But I had saved up money. It was always good with my own money in creating businesses and selling my paintings. So I had saved up a good amount of money by then, but I really didn't have the income to show that I could qualify for a loan. So it worked out. I was able to buy the building, had enough money to put down, owner financing. And then, you know, I'm here with this gigantic building, partly tenants, some of it vacant. One of the tenants turned out to be in jail and, so I had a lot to learn once I got my hands on it. Sure, but, uh, and of course, sure. I didn't have any more money to actually do anything with the building. So I had, I had to learn how to renovate and muddle uh, my way through. But it was a great running experience and being the owner of a real estate company, pretty much invaluable. Right. I mean, I mean, what I learned going through that process and really having no choice but to be forced to go through situations that, you know, you have to be resourceful. And right. You, you just kind of power through it and it makes you stronger.
0: Right? Absolutely. Um so did you own anything before that?
1: No, that was my first purchase. I actually thought I wanted a little house in Garrison until this guy said that to me and I and I completely I completely turned around my entire life.
0: Now that's the same building you're in right now, correct?
1: So this is the building that I yeah, purchased. Okay, Gatehouse Realty is located in there. an eight unit building, yeah. There's okay. two commercial and six apartments.
0: Okay, now you guys are located right across from a lot of people. Know, a lot of people are familiar in terms of Beacon with the Roundhouse. Yes. So your building is basically located across the street from the Roundhouse.
1: Yeah. Just uh, diagonal across the street, pretty much.
0: And it's funny because Beacon has a lot of history. I mean, uh, you know, and you were involved with the with the Roundhouse purchase as well, correct?
1: Yeah. I mean, since I opened my business in 2001, I actually thought I would be um, very bored and painting. So I designed my office to actually be an art studio with North Skylights. Um, turns out that wasn't the case at all. Beacon was very hot by the time I opened and... Uh, it was, it was really the land of opportunity. So I was fortunate enough to get in at a time where the whole city was kind of flipping over. So I've worked with, I've sold probably between 30 and 40 buildings on Main Street, some some of them two or three times over. So my value has come in on some of the larger sales of the factory complexes, being able to visualize what they could be and where the market's going and what that buyer who the buyer will be and what they're going to be willing to pay and what kind of product they're looking for. Cuz right. anyone can list something, anyone can sell something, but it takes it takes intuition and it takes it takes some confidence to know what so the, so the
0: One East Main project you were involved with? So, yeah.
1: So so I sold Roundhouse, and then I worked with the developer, McAlpine, to sell off um, the first five condos, and then we did another two condos, and um, they have the redevelopment there, the restaurant and the hotel and the event space. And then after that was kind of underway, um, I sold them One East Main, which is a 30,000 square foot factory building right across the street, also on the Fishkill Creek. All of that was powered in the industrial age for the factories by the creek.
0: Yeah, so let me interrupt you quick. When you say powered through the industrial age, that's mm-hmm. the history I was trying to get at. What was the roundhouse, just to interject briefly, what was the roundhouse originally? What was that structure used for?
1: That was a Mace Hat factory, and then it was Bradley Dye Works. Okay. So it was it, it, a lot of these factory buildings have been a number of different factories over the years okay. as times have changed. Right. Um so, but, but the main is the Bradley Dye, and they, they were known for polluting the creek quite a bit. Oh, okay. They would just sure. dump everything in there. And uh, from the old locals, I've heard that the, when the dam, the waterfall would freeze, it would freeze in all different colors.
0: Huh, interesting. <laughs> so when was, the, when was the hat factory there?
1: Uh, I would say early 1800s. Actually, not, or late 1800s. The, the first factory that was there, actually, I'm not sure if it was the first, but the first lawnmowers... That were made in America were made at the Roundhouse wow. by Jonathan Swift.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. <laughs> and then Beacon went through that phase, you know, where, where after all the the businesses left and a lot of a lot of different things happened with the with the local um, economies, it was bad for a while. Beacon, right?
1: Yeah. So um, the Industrial Age really developed Beacon. Um, a lot of, there was the factories, there was the big mansions where the factory owners worked, and then there was lots and lots of factory workers' houses, and then there were there were tons of bars. Wow. I forget the amount, but it's a staggering amount of bars from the East Main Street all the way down to the river, because Main huh. Street used to carry all the way down with something like 50 bars. I said, it's crazy. But anyway, when the factories started to close in the 50s, um, and the American malls started were developed, all these businesses on Main Street started to close down, and then it went downhill quickly from there.
0: Right, and then you had it. Then you had eighties and nineties. Yeah. And then... So,
1: I mean, in the sixties, they did urban renewal, which mm-hmm. really, in my opinion, destroyed, unfortunately, a lot of the old mansions, the historic mansions, right. and it destroyed the flow of Main Street, which used to go straight down to the river. Now we have a break with ninety, and it's completely disjunction which we've been trying to work on with trolleys and different systems in the meantime but um urban renewal in the 70s they also tore down a bunch of the old buildings on main street and then it just went downhill from there so the 80s was really bad boarded up crack houses
0: so what was it like when you came in when you first came in when you were thinking when you were walking that street as you described it and then you decided to, to, to buy the building what was it like then
1: so that would have been in the late 90s. Right. So in the 90s, I was, I was actually friends. I took painting lessons, as I as I mentioned, when I was in high school. So that would have been in the early 90s. I graduated college in 97. So I was familiar back then with how Main Street looked. And And my painting teachers actually were involved in real estate. They would buy and sell houses. So I would hear what was going on, even in the early 90s. And of course, um, they filmed Nobody's Fool back then. Oh, interesting. So And they filmed him. At their house was part of it, so um, I was the, always involved. With and the old police
0: on. station was in a Seinfeld episode. That yes. much. Listen, any any <laughs> any Seinfeld references? Believe me, mention them to me. I odds are I will know them. I've probably seen every single episode. Anyhow, sorry about that.
1: <laughs> so in the so I was con- I was familiar with the scene in the early '90s and it was bad. It was right. really bad. Um, by the late '90s, well, Ron Sowers had started. Who's a um, a Developer who's pe- recently passed a couple of years ago, but um, he bought a few of the buildings on the east end of Main Street for I think a dollar.
0: East end meaning that's where the roundhouse area um, is, right?
1: East end meaning near end? near my office, right? Okay, on so the, ra- on the bend, right
0: near roundhouse end. Okay,
1: yeah, um.
0: As opposed to the train station end. One end's basically, you know, characterized by the train station end, and the other end is is, uh, is the roundhouse.
1: And back then, the county was willing to give um, special mortgages for these buildings. Huh. So he, he renovated the building and got people to live there, you know, beautiful apartments for a really good rent. So he was able to get people like teachers and stuff like that to live there. So slowly one building after another started to go into small investors hands. And that was the mid nineties. I sold my first house in beacon, which was adorable little wooden Heath estate gatehouse to a friend of mine, and that was in 98. Shortly after that, Dia announced they were coming, which they didn't open in 2003. Right, right. And it was about that time that um, I met that guy to say, buy commercials, so that's what hit me. So the street in 98, 99, when I started looking for my building, was still really bad. I mean, Beacon has a history of um, a lot of racial...
0: Yeah, things, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of the cities have those sorts of things, yeah, but, but anyhow, so, so, so late 90s, and you're... It's
1: changed, obviously, quite right. a bit. So, it was still boarded up where I was when I bought my building, it was, the one side of the commercial was uh, boarded up with army sheets and gas masks in the window, so it was army navy store called The Warrior, and it was, it was banned, but...
0: But that's when it was starting yeah, to turn. Yeah, I mean, that's when so you kind of had that. to have vision back then to see the potential of what it could be. Yes, absolutely. So I, I think we spoke about it a little bit before. How, how do you get from now? You, now, you went to school at RISD, right? Right. Okay, so how do you get from painting to real estate? And I know you touched upon it a little bit before, but you know, what makes you think, okay, you're in school to be a painter, and then you decide, okay, now real estate? Because a lot of people, for our listeners, will say, like, how do you get from one thing to the next? And I know you touched on it before, but I'd like to hear a little bit more about that.
1: Well, I was always very good at marketing my paintings, and I always felt like it's hard to make a living at painting. And I wanted to have money, because I felt like if you have money, you have freedom. And if I had freedom, I could paint what I wanted. So... Huh, interesting. I felt like it wasn't enough to just paint, and I feel lazy if I'm not being productive. Right. So, um... I actually fell into it because at the time I was still living in Rhode Island and my sister was being, had just gotten a job in Boston. So, and she was moving from Denver. So I went with them to go house hunting one day, and I was like, this is really easy. This is really obvious of the six houses. So you guys houses, went with a, bro- went with we, a broker yeah. and you got a chance to see what it yeah, was I was like, doing. okay, of the six houses today, this is what you should buy and this is why. And this is really easy. And, right. it, and it, that's all it took. I'm like, I'm going home and I'm going to become a real estate agent because real huh. estate agents can make yeah. a lot of money. It There's a 90... 90 10 rule 90 10% of the people make 90% of the money that's true in real estate. Right. So if if you're driven and you take it seriously, you can do really well.
0: And let me tell you something, that's true of law as well. I've always yeah. said as an attorney and I think that's true of any successful yeah. <laughs> profession is that you, it's what it's whatever you make it. If you go to law right. school, you get a law degree, you work very hard to get it, but I've seen lawyers making it, you know less than anybody else out there, and I've seen lawyers that make more than anybody else out there. So, so it really runs the gamut. That's interesting. Yeah. So, so you decided to do real estate, and there's. And listen, and, and it, you you say you say you always feel like you need to be productive, and I get the sense that when you say that, you mean financially productive, not just necessarily doing something out there that's just you know, you can go out and you can. I, I don't know what do whatever you have as a hobby but that's not making money. But I get the sense for you when right. you say you need to be productive, it's financially productive.
1: Right. Well, you want to get to the point where you have passive income paying for all your bills. Right. Right. So if I'm not there, I'm not I'm not happy.
0: Right. And and there's other now we're going to talk about your other businesses later on, but I'd like to to take that opportunity from what you just said just to kind of transition to the next thing. So, you know, in my business and doing handling divorce cases, the, the real estate professional tends to be one of the most important people you're going to work with. And, and I think with the divorce process, I always describe it to people. It's not an end. It's a beginning. It's a new beginning. And sometimes you can call it start over, which I really hate to use that phrase, but you know, I look at it as it's a new beginning. So if you have somebody you know, if you're, let's start off with, if you're going through the divorce process, do you have any tips for people to, um, you know, as they're going through the divorce process in terms of selling their marital residence, any suggestions? Cause, cause have you, I mean, yeah. well, let's back up a little bit. Have you dealt with that before? in yeah. the Divorce cases. Yeah.
1: Yep. Um, I would say the biggest thing, and it's very hard for people is to be willing to take the loss because in the long run, it's actually a gain. It's hard for people to see that. They're like, "Oh, well, I paid this, and now, now we're only gonna get this because it's a fire sale, because it's a divorce." Or, who cares? Just, just do it. It's just money. You can make more of it. Move on.
0: Right. So, so you're, and that's in terms of pricing.
1: Yeah. If so, if they need to, like, don't don't fight over the money just to be spiteful. Just just get it done and move on. Right. Because in okay. the long run, in terms it's of just not helping.
0: Household. Yeah. Um. Any suggestions for people as they're trying to sell their marital residence in the context of a divorce I mean, process to get the house, one, to sell for the highest price, and two, to sell the quickest?
1: Well, I, yeah, you want to present your property as nicely as you can, so keep it neat, keep the lawn mowed, keep it presentable—the
0: curb appeal sort of thing.
1: Absolutely. So I've had situations where you know one spouse has moved out, and they're the ones who also you know may own the property. So they know. So the person living there might not care or might be spiteful. But I think that's what I was getting at before. Okay. Don't don't do something just to be spiteful because you're just hurting yourself in the long run, and certainly right. if there's kids involved as well.
0: Right. So, and that's not only decreasing the possible price you can sell the house for, right. but also slowing down the process of the sale too.
1: Right. But, but sometimes like that spouse might be like, well, if they don't sell it, I get to stay here longer. I've heard that too. Right, so, right. just like, right. they can be difficult transactions to get through, certainly.
0: Right. But those can also, you know, it's tough. I find being the lawyer in the divorce process to get people to see the big picture. Right. And when I'm talking about, you know, your divorce not being an end, and not even necessarily being a starting over, but I look at it as and I call it a new beginning. You know, it's tough for them to see not two weeks from now, or let's say, see beyond a month from now, six months from now, and look at it like, where am I going to be twenty years from now? Right. So as you have people exiting the divorce process, and and listen, listeners out there, I think this advice that I think you're going to get from from Charlotte in this respect will not only help you as you're, you're leaving the divorce process and beginning your new life, but also, let's say you just got out of college, and you just got landed your first job, and you're making some money. Okay, where do I go from here? What's my next step? What should be my next challenge? So the question is, as people are leaving the divorce process, and they, let's say they have $30,000, $50,000 in their pocket, They don't know where they're going to live. They're trying to figure those sorts of things out. Do you have any advice you can impart to those sorts of people in that position in terms of how is best for them to start over? And I'm speaking from a purely a financial uh, standpoint.
1: Right. Well, uh, they need to look at what's coming in money-wise and what's going out. That's the first place. Right. Do your budgets. Have have we said
0: this before? Do your budgets. I do it with my business. I do it personally and I insist that every client does it. Net worth statement. Do your budget so you know what your expenses are to the penny and what your income is to the penny and then you speak with Charlotte and what are we talking about?
1: So once you know if you're living within your means and you have a budget for housing, you're either renting or you're buying, depending on if you have any money saved up, even if you don't think you have much, it's a good idea to at least talk to someone. So if someone comes to me and says, you know, I'm renting now, but I wanna buy, but I've got bad credit, I've got I don't know how much to I say, okay, first thing we're gonna do is we're gonna sit you down with a mortgage broker and they're gonna go through your credit with you and they're gonna go through how much money you have and what kind of programs are out there so you know how much you would need because some of the programs it's very little down even today so and they'll help if your credit is bad he's gonna he or she will tell you these are the steps to do so in a year from now when you're ready your credit's gonna be great or at least better so that's the first thing i would do is like set set some goals for yourself look at your budget be realistic and set some goals for yourself
0: okay and how about you know i know you'd mentioned earlier and and, well let me step back a little bit I, i think the message there and and i it's something again i've discussed on my if anybody's seen my Behind the Law radio show or the videos that are on Facebook, um, you can certainly check those out. But part of, and also my shows, that, the guest appearances on Quinn Realty Group's uh, radio show as well. Um, look, start talking with your real estate professional a year before you think you're ready. When you step back and say, I'm thinking about it, but I'm not ready soon as you start talking to yourself and saying, I'm not ready, that's the point at which you schedule a meeting to talk with your real estate professional and your mortgage broker so you know what's possible because from that conversation, you know you're at least contemplating an investment moving forward and you want to start planning in advance. Do your budget. You may go through your budget and you may say, I'm paying $157 a month for cable. I didn't even know I was paying that much. I can't afford that. That's when you want to start tweaking, a year before you're going to be applying for your mortgage. So... The next question I have, and I, know, and, I, and I think I pretty much know the answer from what we spoke about earlier, is if people are contemplating um, residential or commercial. So here I am, I'm renting, and I'm ha- you having the same uh, you know, fact pattern you just described, and they're contemplating, do I look for a multi-unit building? Do I look for commercial? Do I look for residential? Well, Any suggestions? <laughs>
1: Yes. Um, so commercial, the biggest difference is the rate. The mortgage rate will be higher. Okay. And it will require more down. It's usually at least twenty five percent down. Okay. Um, a multi-family, four-family and under is still considered residential. So if you so if oh. you look for a multi-family that's over five units, you're going to be in a commercial category. Gotcha. So the best thing if you're just starting out, you're trying to scrape some stuff together, is start with a multi-unit, four units or below. Because then you can still okay. qualify, and then if you, you're going to live in it as well, there'll be other benefits you're going to get through your mortgage.
0: Okay. So I come to you tomorrow, and I say, Charlotte, I've got, I'm making you know $75,000 a year, $100,000 a year, and uh, you know I'm, I'm debt-free. Presumably, you're going to pat me on the back for saying <laughs> I'm <laughs> debt-free, right? And I've got all my expenses under control. Um, I'm considering buying a single-family residential, Or a four-unit residential and living in one of the units and renting the others? What's your choice? Well, I
1: think my choice is obvious from what I was describing before. I mean, I think investing in real estate is the the best way to amass wealth. So, like I said, if you start with your single family, you're paying that mortgage. Right. If you start with a multifamily, you've got other people paying your mortgage. And then when you move out, the unit that you rent as you move out will pay for your next one. Right. Right. So, so that's how you have to look at it.
0: And don't don't try to get your
1: dream home as your first purchase. Right, you know that should be way down the line.
0: Okay, and this is and listen again, I uh, I want to stress this advice. The answers to these questions are just as applicable as you're exiting your divorce process as a new divorcee, as they are when you just start making money. Before you're married, or, or before you have a family,
1: I want to say something. I, I actually do tell a lot of my clients this because it was so enlightening to me. But most people don't listen. They just they they want their house. They want to have babies they and they want to play house and,
0: right.
1: that's the choices that they make.
0: Right now, I think we had we've had discussions, obviously numerous discussions off the air. But we've I, I remember that example you brought up of the marshmallow story, the oh, marshmallow right. game. Right so, right so can I you explain that. to our listeners what um, that's about
1: it's a emotional quota uh, test they give a marshmallow to a toddler or a very young child and they put it in front of them sitting down and they say okay you can either have this marshmallow now or I'll be back in a few minutes and you can have two marshmallows so they secretly video while the adult leaves the room, and they watch what the kid does. Some of the kids pop the marshmallow right in their mouth. <laughs> right. Some of the kids just sit there and stare at it. Some of the kids are like really good. Some of the kids pick up the marshmallow and take a nibble at the very bottom and then put it down. <laughs> right. But um, the point of the test is to see if you can delay your gratification. If you can delay your gratification, you'll be you'll be rewarded. Right. So it's it's a very similar thing. If you can. Just work and keep putting that off. Your dream home off. It's gonna be better. And and I mean, I see a lot of the people that I grew up with. Um, that I had even you know back in, the, in when I had bought my building, I tried to have some of my childhood friends also buy real estate in Beacon at that time. And um, they wish they had now, seeing what had happened. But I see some of the people I went to school with. That they're in that they're in that they're paying them they're paying a mortgage right you know but it's just it could go a totally different way but a lot of people it's it's not for them I have some very uh, close people in my life and it's just like that's too stressful for me I just can't handle it so maybe it's not for everyone but for me I feel like it's the best way to gain um, wealth and to get your passive income to pay for your expenses and to me again that's freedom and there's nothing better than that
0: Right. And that's how you started. You said you bought your eight unit building, but I think what we didn't specifically mention is you lived in, in one of the apartments yes. and you rented the rest of it, correct?
1: Yes. Yes. Um, I muddled through it.
0: So okay. There was
1: some vacancy. There was one guy in jail. I had to right. figure out how to evict. So right. so I, I worked through it. But
0: and I've heard you were in here with a hammer working with the, working oh, with the guys putting up, how to putting up sheet sheetrock rock, and everything else. I
1: learned how to tape and learned how to you know, manage a crew and bid yeah. stuff out and figure out. I think the most important thing about bidding out is you break it down. How many guys, how long, right. you know, what, it, what's the materials like actually break it down so they can't just throw a number at you.
0: And you've done a lot of renovations since then and, and purchased other buildings since then, correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I bought my building in 99. I bought um, another two family in 2004, bought some other property, another couple of, Two families after that, which I've, we've sold. And then, um, actually, the second property I bought was 10 acres of land on the mountain. Mm-hmm. Which um, When you
0: say mountain, Mount Beacon, correct?
1: Well, Lambs Hill, it's still left in Mount Beacon. Oh, uh, okay. yeah, the Fishkill gotcha. Ridge, which includes Mount Beacon, yes. And uh, that was the property that... Um, at the time I was living in my building, my real estate office was going really well. This is in 2003, and my accountant said to me, "You need a write-off. You got to buy a house." And I just like, "I grew up on a mountain with a river view, and I'm like, I'm not used to buying, living, you know, living on Main Street's cool, but then I didn't really. I felt like I'm gonna have a house. I, I need, I need something else. So, right, I uh, there was this land on the on the market, been sitting on the market. I had told other buyers about it. They just kind of brushed it off, and then, um. I had lunch with one of my mortgage guys I was uh, doing a lot of business with at the time. And he was like, yeah, we do lot loans. We do construction loans. No problem. He's very positive. Right. And, uh, so I was like, Oh, let me go check that out. And I went and walked it and I was like, this can't possibly, this can't possibly be what's for sale. Cause it was right. listed with an outside broker and there was like no pictures and it was just terribly presented. And uh, So I called up the broker that was representing it, and uh, I said, can I walk the property lines with the owner, like, tomorrow morning? And so we set that up and uh, walked it, and I was like, okay, done. So I bought it, and I had a lot of hoops to go through, but um, again, you buy a piece of property that people just kind of look over, they just don't see the potential in it, and that's where you're going to get the big best deals.
0: Well, and I think it's it's a matter of just kind of staying kind of offbeat when everybody's doing something, maybe try to do, when everybody's zigging, maybe yeah, try to zag yeah. in terms of investing. And I
1: see that in the real estate market. By the time the people that are kind of timid with the idea, they feel like, okay, everyone's doing it. I, I, I guess I should get into it. That's probably not the time to get into it. Right,
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, you kind of have to have the vision. So so what I was getting at is, so you finished that project and then you bought additional pieces of property. and I, And the point that I'm getting at is, Who's the general contractor for virtually all of your projects?
1: Yeah, I always am, yeah.
0: Okay. So you line up all the all the, the yeah, subcontractors to imp- do the work and stuff like that? Work with the... Uh, it's important.
1: You, a A. I never had a whole lot of money. You know, I just kind of like figuring my way out and it's one step to another. Right. So, and B, I like to have control of the situation. I know exactly what's going on and um, what each aspect of the job costs and entails and how to be done. So so when you get each time you do something, you, you get stronger and you build more knowledge and it helps you in all of the businesses that you run. And then like, for example, when I wanted to build a pool on the side of the cliff and we call the pool companies and they're like, what are you kidding me? How about we build it over there in the yard? No, that's not where it's going. Right. So you have, you know, you have the knowledge of like, you finally get the right guy. We, we got an awesome pool company, Rainbow Pools to do the pool. And he came and he showed a picture of a pool built on uh, concrete pillars. Like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Stilts
0: on a mountainside. Yes.
1: But he said to me, I'm going to build the pool. I'm priced out the pool as if it's built in your backyard and you could do the rest. I'm like, fine, that's fair enough because we we didn't know how far we had to go to bedrock or what it was going to entail. So, so that's fine, I'd rather break it down like that.
0: Right, right. So you're a real estate broker, owner of gatehouse, own, owner of, of multiple properties, and general contractor, and painter, and now, you know, what else have you added mm. to your plate most recently? I wanna so, hear what you're doing lately.
1: So, on this mountain property, we've been doing weddings. Since, okay. Since, um, well, we had the first wedding in 2007. Okay. Um, but we started the wedding venue called Lamb's Hill. Okay. And, um, kind of just a low key, quiet, um, small, intimate venue, very rustic. We have Icelandic horses and mini donkeys. And really it's, it's kind of like that property has been a canvas for me. So I can create. this. So we add a hobby and- farmer to
0: that too. Sorry. Happy Farmer? H- Hobby Farmer.
1: Hobby Farmer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. But visions of photo shoots and paintings, and it's very romantic. You know, I always liked the H- this Hudson Valley. has all the, um, the mansions from the Gilded Age, the Vanderbilts and the Roosevelt's and, and properties like that. So I always love the outbuildings, which is one reason why I named the, my company Kate House Realty. Um, so romantic carriage house with reclaimed bricks and reclaimed beams from different properties that I've scavenged and... So we do weddings and then recently opened a spin off bridal boutique in Beacon. Okay. And it's been going great. Okay. It's been great. Excellent.
0: Yeah. Excellent. So I, so it, I mean I can see that as almost a clear progression of, you know, now we talked about your progression from painting to real estate. Now the, the progression from painting to the wedding venue and the wedding dresses seems like a seems like a more logical progression, but, but what get what what got you from the painting to the to the you know, let's say fashion?
1: Well, I just kinda fell into that to be honest.
0: Okay. <laughs> But you had an interest in it before yeah, that, Yeah, no? well,
1: I took I took fashion classes at RISD. So I always lo- loved the idea of anything really in the arts I've into, but I thought I was going to be creating when I sold the condos at 1 East Main Street and I was selling uh, I was showing one of the commercial condos to a, a potential client. As I was talking, I actually talked myself into buying one of the units. <laughs> so
0: So so apparently not only not only can being a real estate professional be lucrative in terms of, you know, making money, but it can also cost you money <laughs> yes, apparently too, right?
1: Yes, yes. So uh, so I talked myself into, wow, that's actually a really good deal. Right. So I bought one and then and then it only took 24 hours where I talked myself into buying the one next to it. Just right. in case, so uh, then I was I thought I would have it as just a creative outlet, a little bit of a gallery for me, maybe a wedding hub and a place to kind of brand Slam's Hill a little bit more. And uh, I was going to have different vendors in the wedding industry that complemented each other. And um, I had a wedding dress vendor was the main one, and then she ended up backing out. But I had all this vision and i was like it's such a perfect spot between the roundhouse and the brewery both of which roundhouse has a venue the brewery is going to have a venue i uh decided to do it myself (laughs)
0: okay okay so let me uh let me ask you a question so so when you when so when somebody asks you what does the phrase girl boss mean um you know it seems like you almost epitomize that (laughs) so you know kind of a kind of a cheeky little um Yep. Uh, what do I want to call it? Like phrase or or characterization? But, um, but uh, but you have that up in your office now, right?
1: Yes, I do. I do. You mean that little thing on my desk? Yeah, yeah. Yes. As
0: as a bit of a girl
1: power. Well, you know, a little bit too. Lambs Hill. Um, I'm trying to brand it a little bit as a girl power brands. Right. You know, as a wedding. like right. Like, take control. Don't be afraid to um, chase your dreams. Come up with a plan and make it happen. Yeah. Kind of a thing. So it's an empowerment. I'm, I'm branding Lamb's as an empowerment. So being a girl... Um, in, uh, especially construction, you know, which is mainly a man's world and making it through, you know, I, like I said, when I was very young when I bought my building. I was 23. Right. I called to get the insurance. They thought it was a prank call. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't help. I they can't did. They're
1: like, you sound 12. Um, and then when I was running the construction crew, people were like, this is the boss really? <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, it's come a long way, but.
0: Well, and again, I I, I mean, I, I say that a bit tongue in cheek, but I brought it up for a reason because it seems like your whole career epitomizes what the phrase girl boss means. Um, and I think, um, you know, look, as I've said before, you know, this show is not only to impart some, some knowledge and some wisdom uh, about divorce law, about going through the process and about life, but... Also, as inspiration and empowerment for people to know that no matter what your gender, your race, your background, your age is, you are capable of anything you set your mind to. You know, I was at a, co- a cocktail party the other day, and a, and a good friend of mine, we had a conversation, um, Charlotte was there as well, we are having a conversation with this gentleman, and he said, you know, where, where aptitude and work ethic intersect That, I mean, summing it up, you know, paraphrasing, where aptitude and and work ethic intersect is where you reach excellence. So, you know, if you have a bit of an ability for something and you work really hard at it, you can make it happen. You truly can make it happen. And I think, you know, myself included, um, a lot of the young entrepreneurs I know and and some of the greatest people in the world, including Charlotte, for sure, um, you know, are are prime examples of that. Whatever you set your mind to, if you want to make it happen you can
1: yeah absolutely I, I never take no as as really an answer right i just means i have to find another way to make that a yes right so you just keep going right. you make it happen
0: Right, absolutely. So, thank you, Charlotte, for being here today. Yeah. I think that uh, you know people gained a lot of valuable information from you, not only to inspire them to chase their dreams and to work hard to, to get to their goals, but also just in s- just starting out. How do you invest, you know? And even when you're starting your new beginning after your divorce, you know, how do you get your financial life started again? So. You know, why don't you tell our listeners the names of your businesses that we discussed today and how they can find you if they wanted to either buy a wedding dress or, or book, their, or book their, their dream event or, or even if they were just looking for property, not only to invest but also to live.
1: All right. Well, the real estate office is called Gatehouse Realty, and it's located at 492 Main Street. Okay. GatehouseRealty.com. You can okay. find our phone number. Um, and our wedding business is called Lambs Hill, and we have the bridal boutique shop, Lambs Hill Bridal Boutique, at 1 East Main Street Retail 3. Okay. You can give us a call there. Um at eight four five seven six five twenty nine hundred, or check our website out, com or lambshill.com is our venue site. Okay. So um, any of those places you can reach out to us and we can help you out one way or okay. another. Okay.
0: Sounds great. Okay. Thanks so much. Great Thank to have you, you today, Charlotte. Okay. Bye. Take care.